Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seat. The show is about to start. Hey guys, what's up? This is Phoebe. This is Mike. This is episode number 41 of the Mike and Phoebe show. And today we have a very special guest calling in. This is Brian Silva. Brian is a member of the governing board, trustee area one at the Mount San Jacinto College Community College District. Hi, Brian. Hi, guys. How are you? Very good. Yeah, Thank you for having me today. Absolutely. We're so excited to chat with you. And I believe we met sort of or a little bit or kind of like by connection. Uh, Cindy Lemke at the Hemet San Jacinto Chamber of Commerce. Uh, We are members. And uh, are you a member at uh, Chamber there? I'm not a member of the chamber, uh, but uh, as, uh, of that particular chamber. Uh, but uh, Cindy and I have uh, been friends for many years when I used to be the uh, uh, board president for the Beaumont uh, Chamber many years ago. So, and and it was the relationally that's how I was uh, blessed enough to end up with this opportunity because I was playing in their golf tournament and I won this podcast. Yes, yes, yes. So we're so happy that you're able to do the podcast with us. We got a lot of interesting topics. So I'm glad you sent in some uh, good, good bio information for us. So let's jump right into it. Let our audience get to know you. What brings you in today? Where did you grow up? And uh, where did you go to college? Where do you live now? And what kind of career do you have? That's a that's a lot of questions. Like just to answer <laughs> all in one. <laughs> you could do it yeah. randomly or all in one order. <laughs> well, you know what? I'll do my I'll do my best to put it all in one good, very tasty sandwich. So uh, uh, yeah, as you had said, uh, um, uh, my name is Brian Silva. I'm a, a first term member of the uh, Mount San Jacinto Community College District Board of Trustees. Um, I'm on the presidential cycle, which makes it uh, a little difficult uh, when you're, you know, every year uh, you a down ballot race and stuff like that uh, uh, when it's uh, um, when it's in the presidential cycle because you get kind of lost in the upper parts of that ballot. But anyways, grew up in Riverside, had a great childhood, you know, awesome parents. My dad was a motorcycle mechanic and my mom was uh, an administrator with uh, Alvord Unified for 25 plus years and and went to uh, Alvord Unified and Riverside Unified schools, uh, attended uh, Norda Vista High School and graduated from Ramona High School in 1997 and uh, played football in high school as an offensive lineman. Uh, my senior year as a sports editor of the uh, uh, high school newspaper, The Rampage. And then uh, attended Riverside City College and uh, was a writer with uh, Viewpoints, which is a school paper there at Riverside City College. And a student body president and trustee from 2000 to 2001, that school year. Uh, During that time, I uh, was a stringer for uh, the Riverside Press Enterprise and covered high school football. So that's where I kind of learned my skill set in journalism, how to write and get good quotes and talk to coaches and and student athletes, uh, etc., then uh, went on to UC Riverside, uh, where uh, where I was a contributing writer for the Highlander, which is the school paper there. Uh, participated in the UCDC program when I was at UC Riverside, and the UCDC program is uh, um, the UC system uh, is much like any of the other systems uh, within uh, the nation. So University of Tennessee system, the University of Texas, etc., uh, and they all have uh, uh, governmental uh, outreach arms because there's a lot of federal dollars that go to four-year schools, 
and uh, um, uh, the UC system has a an old converted hotel that they bought, multi-story. I think it was like eleven-story tall building uh, that they utilize as dormitories, and you can apply to be a part of this particular program and then uh, enroll in, in courses and stuff. My particular job was to work for the uh, UC uh, de- uh, Department of uh, Public or sorry, in uh, federal governmental relations, the UCFGR. And, um, and so I worked with lobbyists and I worked on Capitol Hill and, uh, and attended uh, um, Capitol hearings and really neat stuff. And uh, the cool thing about the UC pro, the UC system is that, you know, they, they do everything from the from agriculture to Department of Defense, because the UC system runs three national labs, uh, the Lawrence Livermore lab, the Berkeley lab, and then Los Alamos still even to this day. So uh, um, as a matter of fact, most of the professors that built the atomic bomb, uh, those teachers and, and, and scientists and stuff, they were all UC people. So that was cool. Um, met my wife at UC Riverside and uh, ended up with a bachelor's in history uh, and then uh, lived in Riverside for a little bit and then moved out to uh, Beaumont in 2010, got involved right away. And and uh, the community realized that I didn't really have any agendas. I just wanted to serve my community. And so that opened up a lot of doors. And so I uh, was uh, on uh, on chamber board and, and got on the hospital board at San Gregorio Memorial Hospital Healthcare District Board. Um, Ran for a Beaumont Unified Board in 2016. The previous trustee wanted me to run, and and so I uh, got after that. Uh, and then uh, um, uh, also that year, uh, I uh, took a job uh, at uh, College of the Desert as their sports information director. Uh, after doing the job, that same job at San Bernardino Valley College for nine years prior, um, then in 2020, uh, the Similar situation to what happened when I ran for the Beaumont Unified Board, uh, the uh, Mount San Jacinto Board uh, occupant uh, for trustee area number one reached out to me and was like, uh, I'm retiring. What do you think about it? And I was like, all right. So I ran after it. And, and uh, it's uh, it's interesting. It's interesting to say the least. And we'll get into that a little later. And then uh, uh, also in 2020, uh, my wife and I, we adopted twin girls, uh, Lexi and Maddie, love of our lives. And uh, they, uh, they were couple of girls out of the Menifee Murrieta area and uh, they were they were in the system and and uh, we connected and and thankfully we had support from their from uh, the birth family and uh, it was a great process uh, so uh, so I if anybody's considering that foster to adopt process the Riverside County does a very good job and uh, so that's that's uh, a lot and a little about me that's awesome. You know, as I was reading your bio that you sent over, I was I felt so impressed and humbled that we were able to connect and do this podcast with you. You told me so much about your personal and professional accomplishments on your bio, which also included a Lifetime Achievement Award called the <laughs> Brass Top Award. Right. Then you decide to take the plunge into local politics. And, you know, we all know politics can be really hairy, can be really, really uh, a lot to take in. But um, what made you leap into elected office? You told me that it, how you got into it, but what was the real inspiration behind that? Yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, that, that's, that's a really good question. Uh, the, you know, so my, my first foray into politics was canvassing for uh, a local measure in the city of Riverside called measure C in 1987. And um, I'm, you know, 
eight, nine years old or whatever. And, and, uh, um, it was, uh, it was in support of a green space along Victoria Avenue. And unless you're an old townie, if you will, for the city of Versailles, you probably have no clue what measure C is other than the fact that it was uh, tremendously controversial at the time. Uh, but, uh, um, but nonetheless, uh, we got measure C was passed and it held that green space along Victoria Avenue to this day. So that's great. Um, and, um, the other thing was, is that my dad hated politicians. And so while my, <laughs> while my peers are, you know, kind of sowing their wild oats and whatever, in very salacious ways, I started working on campaigns. I'm like, I'm going to get back at my old man by like really digging deep into this. And, uh, it was, it was kind of funny, uh, in that regard. Uh, my, my dad didn't think it was entertaining until he got significantly older. And, uh, and of course I didn't understand the irony until I also got significantly older, but, uh, I started working on a couple of congressional campaigns. Uh, and then, uh, um, I, uh, working, I mean, volunteering, uh, you know, ver- the, the work on campaigns, especially on uh, congressional campaigns or whatever it might be, uh, U.S. Senate campaigns or even gubernatorial campaigns or whatever it might be, uh, they're very uh, – lots of hours, low pay, and you get as much pizza and donuts as you want, but uh, doesn't exactly go great with the dietary ne- necessities for uh, um, – individuals. But anyways, so uh, started working for a political fundraiser, Mike Williams in 2000 through 2001. And and Mike is still a big player in political fundraising throughout Riverside County, uh, uh, mostly uh, Western Riverside County. Uh, and then uh, just kind of started working my way up. So uh, for years, I was just kind of involved in the chamber board. I was an HOA president. Of course I was, right? Um, and <laughs> And, but I was a good one. I wasn't one of those HOA presidents or jerks. And then, you know, it kind of just dawned on me that that I have an opportunity to kind of take this skill set and help benefit my community in a greater a greater way. And uh, um, when I decided to really put myself out there and run for for school board in Beaumont Unified. Uh, the, there was, it was, was really funny. The, the deadline was, I think it was like August 8th. So I put in my paperwork last minute. There was nobody else that was running to my knowledge. And then I get a call like a day and a half later and the registrar of voters tells me I'm running against two other people. So it was a three person race and it got nasty. It was ugly. It was all the, th- all the bad things that you hear about campaigns, uh, uh, and completely outspent. To be completely honest, I kept it way above board and was I, I always campaigned that way. And I'm proud of that uh, and uh, didn't didn't go negative at all and ended up winning by 200 votes. So wow. if, if anybody tells you out there that a vote doesn't count, that's balloon juice. Every vote counts. <laughs> and uh, um, and then something that always kind of pops into my head is uh, um, I was talking with former San Bernardino city mayor, Pat Morris one time. And I, I was walking into a graduation at Cal State San Bernardino. My sister was, uh, uh, was graduating from Cal State San Bernardino uh, with her bachelor's degree and uh, happened to run into Pat Morris. And nobody knew who Pat Morris was except for a, a political dork like me. And uh, so I said, I said, mayor, mayor. And we talked for just a brief moment as he was running in to go do his thing. And, and he, he left me with this and he said, I think it's, I think it is important to step forward and offer your services in an elected position for a period of years 
but it should not become your occupation, unquote. And and I, I took that to heart because there, there are so many professional politicians and I will never be one. I've, I've been solicited to run for state assembly and, and run for this thing and that thing. Those are full-time gigs that I'm just, I'm, I'm not all that interested in. And uh, um, I'm, I'm not a professional politician. I'm a citizen and proud to serve my community as long as uh, my constituents will have me. So I have an interesting question for the, the listeners out there that may be interested in going into politics, but they're not sure how to go about doing it. You know, let's say a uh, regular Joe Schmo like me, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. I, I personally don't have too much interest. But let's say someone like me who, you know, may have interest in the future. How would they go about doing that? And what kind of personality would they need to have? You know, it's kind of going off off topic a little bit, but um, just to shoot that out there. No, that's a great follow up. I think that that's something that is top of mind for a lot of people. Um you know, how, how do you get involved in this particular industry? And, and really the, uh, it takes a, a person who sees a civic responsibility as kind of their call and let the constituents be the judge of, of whether you're worthy of that position or not. And that's not necessarily a negative thing. Uh, but the, the process for doing it is difficult and it's difficult on purpose um, going to the uh, Riverside County Registrar and filing all the papers and making uh, you know making sure you're doing everything right the one thing that seems to get a lot of people hung up is they they think about the money and I, I, uh, there's a guy who's running for state assembly and uh, uh, he reached out to me and um, he was uh, he was concerned about uh, he was concerned about money. He was concerned about like where where the financial uh, priorities are going to come from and how how he's going to be able to uh, to meet them. And I to- I told him flat out, I was like, you know, I've never had money. I've always uh, uh, self financed. I've never worried about that. Uh, Ron Edwards, who's running for Assembly District sixty, and so I told Ron, I said, just run. That's all you need to do. Um, and, and he was, he was, he was obviously concerned about, he's running for state assembly. That's a, you know, that's uh nearly half a million voters. It's 450,000 voters roughly. And, uh, um, I said, I said, dude, you just, you just got to do it. And I would encourage anybody else to do the same thing. Don't worry about the financial priorities, uh, get out there, submit your paperwork. And if you feel a calling to serve your community, just do it. If you fall on your face, that's okay. Uh, thankfully you'll have, you know, as long as you didn't, uh, as, as long as you didn't like mortgage, like literally or figuratively your future, uh, you'll be in a good place. Uh, and, uh, thing that gets a lot of new people who are into politics and a lot of trouble is the financial disclosure forms. And if you don't have a, a good handle on that, it can get really tough. But this is the key. If you spend less than $2,000 on your campaign, you don't have to submit those extensive forms. You could just basically check a box that says, I spent less than $2,000. Then you are really free to do what you need to do. And that's what I do. I always keep my campaigns below two grand. Sign me up. <laughs> and the reason why I asked is uh Ryan because Mike, my husband, he's he's a little bit interested in it and I don't know anything about it. So I always encourage people, you know what, do it. You want to do mm-hmm. it, do it. 
try it. You never know what's going to happen. But, you know, so it's good to have an inside scoop. So it's it's good that um, you're here talking with us. <laughs> yeah, and the only reason why I was uh, thinking of something like that is because then when you're in those positions, you can actually make a change to where we are as citizens. We can make a change, but only so far. Right, right. 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 And, and, and Mike, if you're going in it with the, with the, the right approach with, and I, I think that the community wants to see this to, as to uh, see this as well, which is if you're going in with no agenda, you are going in with the perspective of serving the community. The constituents will see that. Now there's, there's certain circumstances where, you know, the best candidate doesn't always win. Um, and, you know, I, I've, the last couple of races I've had, like my last race in 2020, I was out spent six to one, but I was out willing to outwork my opponents because they sat at home and let their slate mailers, which is something if Mike, if you decide to run, you'll find out all about slate mailers. Oh, I know. <laughs> but uh, uh, they, uh, they decided to sit and watch television while their slate mailers did the work. If you got to be willing to you know, get the um, get the precinct walking maps. Find out who your high propensity voters are. Knock on doors and do all this by yourself. Uh, I, I, the first the first time I ran for public office, there were a bunch of people, bunch of people who were like, who were like, oh, we'd love to support you. You know, they'd send me a check here and there. I was like, oh, great, can you walk precincts? Oh, I can't do that. <laughs> I can't. Yeah, so I, I ended up doing it myself and it was actually relatively liberating because you I cannot tell you how many times knocking on doors and it was the person who saw me, uh, they would either say one of two things. One, this is the first person who's actually running for office that has come to this door. Or two, I wasn't thinking about voting for you, but now that I met you, I am. Uh-huh. And that happened all over the place. Yes, per Face-to-face is always something that's always the best because out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. Right. (laughs) That's awesome. So I'm glad that we're talking with you. I'm sure Mike is very, very encouraged hearing your words. And I know a lot of people out there who are thinking into going to politics are would be encouraged hearing what you have to say. So I'm really glad that we're touching on this topic. Now, let's let's bring it back a little bit. And before I ask for a follow-up question related to your role as the board president on the Mount San Jacinto Co- uh, Community College Board of Trustees, I wanted to go back to a question that uh, about your job as a sports information specialist. Now, it's a job that seems very rewarding and scratches the sports itch, if you will, like many people have. But what is it about this particular job that's so rewarding? And that um, do you have any standout moments or athletic achievement? achievements that stand out over your 16 plus year career? Oh, sure. Yeah. So I think that uh, top of my list, uh, we had a, this is when I was, when I, during my nine years at San Bernardino Valley College. So it's the first round of the uh, 3C2A playoffs, which is 3C2A is the governing body of community college athletics in the state of California. Uh, Just like the NC2A is for nationally, this would, the 3C2A is for, um, community colleges in California. Anyways, so uh, it's the first round of the playoffs, late February 2010. Palomar has come up to San Bernardino. And uh, now the previous season in 2009, um, San Bernardino upset Palomar at their place. And it was just like, it was huge. It was, it was, uh, now granted San Bernardino didn't survive the next round, but they knocked off Palomar at their place. So Palomar comes into our gym with the intention of seeking retribution, if you will. So uh-huh. game, 
Game's tied 55-55 with 15 seconds left. Our, the top player for San Bernardino, a top guard that particular year, was a player by the name of Janelle Jr., who's from Lossier High School in Riverside. And she was like 0 for 18 or something. Like She couldn't hit the side of a barn because she was fighting a very bad flu and uh, was just playing terribly. But the offense shifts to her. She's sitting at the three-point line and drains a three-pointer at the buzzer. Her only shot she makes the whole night is the game winner. I just absolutely love that story. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, and then uh, uh, just, a, just a, a couple of years ago uh, in uh, May of 22, uh, COD Baseball, uh, where I work at College of the Desert, um, defeated uh, Long Beach City College So they in, in the playoffs. And... They uh, won the best of three series in game three. So the sudden death, right? In extra innings where they walk off bases loaded walk. So the bases were loaded and the guy at the plate walked. And uh, so they ended up winning. The the Roadrunners ended up winning their first playoff series in over 50 years. And uh, that was uh, that was definitely a tops. Uh, wow. those, those couple ones there. That's awesome. You know, Brian, as you're telling your stories, I, I have my eyes closed and I'm hearing your voice. I'm imagining in my mind's eye what that scene was for that. Um, it was volleyball, you said, women's volleyball, correct? Uh, no, it was basketball. Oh, basketball. basketball. I'm yeah. sorry yeah. for basketball. I imagine um, that young lady doing uh, shooting that last uh, shot. I don't know the exact uh, sports term, but, but shooting the shot into the the net and making that basket. And I could just imagine the crowd like, ah, you know, going nuts and nuts. And <laughs> I could just see that in my mind's eye. Uh, I love hearing the way that you present uh, the sports information. So it's very, you have a very charismatic voice. You have a, a very nice tone. So I can feel that energy from you that you're so excited even to talk about it years later. So I like hearing that. <laughs> that was very cool. You're too kind, Phoebe. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, see, I, I, I'm more thinking of like the, the betting kind of person, you know, where they... <laughs> It's zero to 18, but it's like, you know, uh, 100 to zero odds. And if you throw $1,000 down, you're like, yes. <laughs> so you're jumping around like everybody else is because you want a lot of money. Right, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's a nice analogy, too. <laughs> now, uh, Brian, since you work in the world of sports marketing, and I would presume that you're a fan like uh, of any professional sports college league, um, what is your most favorite team? Um, so, uh, my favorite baseball team is, the uh, is the San Diego Padres. I've been a Padres fan since the early nineties and, uh, uh, long suffering, as I would say. Um, my, my particular favorite hockey team is the LA Kings. Um, and, uh, my favorite ba- basketball team is, uh, the Phoenix Suns, which they knocked off the Lakers last night, which is great. Um, my, uh, my favorite football team is San Francisco 49ers. So, uh, um, I've been a Niners fan since the mid eighties and my favorite international soccer team is, uh, is the Liverpool Reds. Love my Liverpool Reds. So very nice. Have you been to any of these games? Uh, so, uh, I have seen every single one of these teams live except Liverpool. I missed an opportunity. They were playing an international or, uh, one of these like, like, Tra- every so often, very rarely, the there will be some random European clubs that'll tour tour the United States, and so uh, I think it was like 
2018 or so, uh, Liverpool ended up playing, uh, I think it was like Juventus or something, a, a, a Italian club uh, in uh, um, at the Rose Bowl. And oh, wow. uh, didn't, didn't get a chance to get to that one. But uh, uh, anyways, yeah, so seeing everybody yeah, live. Nice. Very nice. What an awesome experience. Now, okay, going back to uh, you being the board president on the Mount San Jacinto uh, Board of Trustees, you're up for re-election this November. And as a matter of fact, a majority of your five-member board is up for re-election this year, including your board colleague, Tom Ashley, that represents the area in the studio where we're based in Paris. See, that's very interesting. Mm -hmm. And that you and your board colleagues represent a gigantic population core spanning from 1,700 square miles. Each of you represent a relatively equal number of voters, but your district, uh, Trustee Area 1, is the largest by the area. What are some of the challenges of representing such a large geographic space? You know, it's it's really interesting, like, because it, it... it spans the gambit, right? Because for 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 my particular area, from Cala Mesa all the way through the Beaumont Banning Pass area, through to Cabazon, etc., and then south through to Idlewild in uh, Garner Valley, uh, through Aguanga and Anza, and then all, all the way south, basically Temecula, south of Rancho California Road uh, to the Pachanga Res. Uh, all all that area is uh, is my responsibility. As a trustee, and it's interesting because there's all there, there's competing interests, right? What Temecula needs uh, will vary significantly with what uh, the pass area needs versus what our mountain communities uh, need as well. And so, trying to make sure that I have a, a a face or some kind of footprint in any of those places is really difficult. And uh, I do my best to be out in the community as much as possible. Uh, but, you know, a- as it relates to the re- relationship that I have built over the years with the past area chambers, Calamace and Beaumont and Banning have great chambers. Uh, Temecula Valley has one of the uh, probably the most expansive and uh, high end style of management that I've seen in the Inland Empire. It's probably... Temecula Valley and the greater Riverside Chambers of Commerce are comparable as far as size and the complexities that they deal with. And and then Idlewild used to have a chamber, but that closed in 2013. And then Anza Valley kind of has a loose confederation of, uh, of, of businesses. But uh, those priorities are um, are really bared down to how can the college district do its best to represent the taxpayers and those that are attending our institutions. And, you know, we have like in, in the, in the pass area, we have a, uh, we have a campus, the San Gregorio pass campus. Uh, currently the uh, there's a Beaumont uh, middle school uh, uh, or middle college. Beaumont unified has a middle college high school at our, uh, San Gronio Pass campus, which is great. It's a concept that allows for uh, students to uh, learn in a different, more collegiate environment. And more often than not, there's parallel programs that allow them to get uh, credit, collegiate credit. Well, you know, it's 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 basically an AVID program. If anybody in this audience understands, kind of really understands or grasps what the AVID program is or has heard of the AVID program, it's like an AVID program on steroids. And there's a handful of, of middle college, high school concepts that are 
materializing within our district, which is huge. San Jacinto Unified just approved one that will be operating out of our San Jacinto campus. And so that's been a great development for our particular area. You know, but it's it's a little difficult to try to explain to or try to be able to make sure that we're meeting those educational needs when we're not being when we can't be as flexible in certain circumstances. And what I'm getting at is the four-year schools are really inflexible when it comes to certain changes, uh, certain necessities. The community colleges are very flexible. And being able to communicate that flexibility to our constituents is a vital need, meaning like you can be a mountain communities resident. You can work in your job in ANZA and take online coursework. And that allows for tremendous opportunities, educational opportunities that extend beyond uh, being able to attend face-to-face classes. Now, a lot of that changed during the pandemic, but um, what what we've learned throughout the course of that is that while we're roughly at about 60, 40 right now, which is frankly pretty progressive, uh, in comparison to some of our neighboring districts, the, uh, the a lot of our neighboring districts are still not quite up to that amount of face-to-face instruction. But what we found out throughout the course of the pandemic is that because the the, the economic downturn that we're kind of currently in, it depends on who you talk to and you know what uh, what uh, news source you utilize. But the the thing that we've learned is that all the patterns that have previously happened, you you just, they're completely out the window. Um, Before what used to happen is that when there was an economic downturn, people would turn to higher ed to, you know, they, let's say they'd lose their job. So then they would go to uh, their local community college and they'd enroll in programs and stuff like that. Well, that's not necessarily the case anymore. And the flexibility that we can offer through our online education programs, through our face-to-face instruction and our hybrid op- options are really what is is keeping uh, MSJC and, and the district as a whole in the forefront. And communicating that to our community uh, is is paramount. The, the difference is like, I'll, I'll give you an example. So I'm I was at the at the cherry uh, cherry festival parade in in Beaumont, and uh, I I walk the route. We have our uh, what's called our um, our MCC, which is our mobile career center, and it's this big RV that's got MSJC plastered all over the side. It's beautiful, and the MCC was it, you know obviously dr- brings a lot of attention, which is great. Somebody walked up to me and was asking about vaccine requirements. Now, this was six months ago. We uh, MSJC hasn't had a vaccine requirement since really since the 22. I mean, it's been almost uh, uh, almost two plus years that we haven't had a vaccine requirement. But the person that I was talking to had uh, had confounded what they heard at the four year level versus what what we were doing on our campus. And so we started a a marketing plan. A lot of people have gotten MSJC flyers uh, 
giving people updates of what we're doing because there's there's a lot of a lack of information out there for people who aren't directly attending our colleges, but they're paying the taxes that they pay uh, for for our colleges to function. And being able to do that level of outreach is so important. It's so critical. I mean, we're you know we've got. 25, over 25,000 students that attend our four campuses, Menifee Valley, Temecula Valley, uh, the, the Pass Area Campus in Banning, and uh, the San Jacinto Campus, and being able to service them and take care of them as, as full-time students or part-time students, whatever the learning processes is, if it's online through asynchronous or learning and or if it's face-to-face, uh, being able to take care of that is and communicate that with our constituents over a wide space like we represent is really unique to community colleges. It's definitely a hurdle to jump over, especially now, uh, nowadays, especially after the pandemic and the shutdown. I really appreciate seeing uh, higher uh, learning colleges, uh, vocational schools, things like that. I appreciate that they offer the hybrid option, you know, or even a fully remote option. So not only uh, having the campus and live in in person uh, learning, but having that option, I think that's very important. Right, and and it gives us it gives our institution as well as and to be fair, as well as neighboring community colleges and a handful of four years, it it allows them the the flexibility to be able to meet students' needs where they're at. Yes. And it 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 happens rarely where the competing needs actually it, it's it's kind of like a bullet hitting a bullet. And where we were able to meet the needs of those communities, regardless of their socioeconomic status, regardless of their particular needs at the time, meaning like if it, what we found with the, the face-to-face instruction and the online instruction, this is, this is kind of like institutionally, not necessarily at MSJC, but community colleges as a whole, that a lot of our newer students that are coming in from Paris High School or uh, wherever they might uh, be attending Beaumont High School, Temecula Valley, whatever it is, that they want the face-to-face instruction. So we're seeing our freshmen that want that face-to-face instruction. Well, my, uh, bearing in mind that we have 60% of our students that are part-timers, which means that they're less, they're carrying less than 12 units. And those part-timers have responsibilities at home. They have responsibilities uh, uh, at at a job or whatever it might be. And this allows them through uh, through online education, through either synchronous, which means that your class starts at 8 a.m. You need to be online at 8 a.m. And we discuss the topics beginning at 8 a.m. Asynchronous is you log on when you can, you study the materials when you can, and this is when the test is. And so we're seeing a lot of interest in that in that flexibility in being in, in online. But what's an interesting situation is an interesting development that's come out of the pandemic too, is with the priorities online, the facilities use has shifted significantly. So before, you know, we used to have full parking lots. Everybody would complain about parking. Everybody would complain about not being able to get into classes because we were limited, you know, by the amount of desk space and stuff like that. And now the the viewpoint that we need to take as it relates to facilities, it has changed. We don't necessarily, do we really need that much classroom space? Do we want to have a collaborative relationship with some four-year educational institutions like 
maybe Cal State San Marcos or maybe uh, a Laverne. I'm just, you know, picking a, a local university or Cal Baptist that want to utilize our space for extended learning opportunities. You know, that that otherwise, you know, if we didn't have so many online uh, classes being offered that we otherwise wouldn't be able to do. So it shifts our priorities as a college to uh, what our facilities needs are. And uh, it's it's rather interesting, to say the least. Absolutely. And speaking about the priorities there, when you ran in 2020 for the Mount San Jacinto College Board, a couple of your listed priorities were answering district growth and continued fiscal responsibility. Where is the district in meeting those priorities now? So uh, as far as answering district growth, now, the, the, the district has uh, done a s- superb job at uh, being good stewards and, if you will, fiduciaries as it relates to uh, taxpayer dollars and being able to maintain that continued re- uh, fiscal responsibility, but also meeting that district growth through purchasing. Uh, before I was a board member, I was also a member of the, the Citizens Oversight Committee for Measure AA, which is the big bond measure that was passed uh, in 2018. Uh, and, uh, or maybe it was 2016. I'm trying to remember. Anyways, all the numbers kind of blend together after a while, but uh, the, the, the bond measure was, uh, was key to being able to, to answer that district growth priority. And as a result, uh, when Abbott labs decided that they were going to downsize their priorities in the state of California, I don't know what the reason was. I'm sure there was some uh, a financial component, obviously, as you can imagine. But when Abbott Labs decided to downsize their California footprint, they more or less provided an opportunity for us to purchase a building uh, at a significantly reduced cost. And uh, as a result, we were able to be good fiduciaries of taxpayer dollars and also uh, answer our growth in uh, growth needs in Southwest Riverside County because uh, Southwest Riverside County, a lot of our student population, if you will, was bleeding into uh, Palomar's district in North San Diego County. And so real quick aside, so uh, the, the feds fund uh, colleges through FTEs. FTEs are full-time equivalency students. If you're taking 12 units or above, uh, the feds send you a nice big check um, as a college. Uh, when you finish your degree, the state through completion, that's what it's called, completion, uh, will send you a nice big check for your students. So that's how we're able to fund everything. Anyways, so through that funding mechanism, we were losing millions of dollars to uh, Palomar Community College District. Well, when we opened up the Temecula Valley campus, uh, that spigot was cut off for them. So, uh, but we had we had not represented that particular area very well up until that point. And now I would say that the Temecula area is being, uh, and, and Southwest Riverside County as a whole, it has the facility necessary in order to to supplant that growth, uh, gr- those growth needs uh, that were uh, so desperate in that particular area. In addition, we're we're continuing to move forward with uh, our our STEM centers, uh, science, technology, uh, engineering, and math uh, centers that we have uh, multi-story structures that are being built on the Menifee Valley campus. 
uh, also on the San Jacinto campus. There was a lot of concern when we purchased the Temecula campus, especially from uh, our friends in the Hammett and San Jacinto area, because we moved a lot of our uh, district operations from the San Jacinto campus down to the Temecula location. And as a result, there were a lot of community leaders in, in the in the San Jacinto and Hemet area that said, hey, you're abandoning us. We're shifting operational priorities, but that doesn't necessarily we're meaning we're abandoning, abandoning anybody. And I understand those community concerns. I hear it in the Banning Pass area as well as it relates to the Pass area campus. But, you know, with our commitment that we're making as as a district to the uh, uh, to the STEM center that we're putting there on in San Jacinto, we are telling that community that you are still a priority and you always have been, as is any of our campuses and uh, in any of our uh, uh, regions and neighborhoods that we represent as a, as a uh, board of trustees. So you know we're we're out there doing our our very best to not only answer district growth but to also be like I'd mentioned earlier, be flexible enough to. Uh, prioritize what our community needs. What what and and the crazy thing is, uh, Phoebe and Mike is that is that it's it's something somebody brought up in our in our board meeting last night, which is we can't think about uh, what we're doing now and what it affects now. It's the things that we do now. We won't know if we did it right for two and three years. Uh-huh. It, and it's it it, it complete it it shifts to like 4D level chess, like your mind blows, you blow your mind at that point. Like how how conceptually that if you make the wrong move now, how we wouldn't even be able to really know what those ramifications of those moves are until many years down the road. And so we attempt to do our best by as a board and as a district with with great leadership under Dr. Roger Schultz and his staff that to to answer not only that district growth, but remaining fiscally responsible and representing the taxpayers in the right way. We want to make sure that we're getting every cent out of that dollar and realize that it's not our money. That that district that is not district money. That is money that the taxpayers have given us to do the the most with to represent them. And we, and I think that our board has that perspective. Uh, and uh, it's, it's what's led us on the road to presently very successful, uh, a very successful focus and mindset. So, I mean, we're, we're going to be going through accreditation, uh, which is a huge deal in the 24, no, 25 calendar year. So, I mean, right now we're, you know, as a board, we're reviewing stacks and stacks and stacks of papers uh, with, in conjunction with what, uh, what staff is, is providing for us so that we can do our, uh, do our very best and, and get through accreditation. I'm very excited. It's a, it's a uh, lengthy process, but obviously it's a worthwhile process uh, to be accredited. And uh, when now kids, if you're out there looking for an institution to go in higher education, remember, make sure it's accredited and then go to MSJC. But anyways. Yes. Yes. And that must be very, very exciting to uh, be a part of a accredited school, accredited higher education uh, school institution. Sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> 
So, Brian, I had such a good time talking to you, getting to know you as a person, getting the inside scoop about how to get into politics here in our local area. And you've also shared a lot of information about your sports information background. So I'm so glad you had a chance to chat with us. This is Brian Silva. Brian is a a member governing board of the Trustee Area 1 at the Mount San Jacinto Community College District. Find Brian online on LinkedIn. You can connect with him and it's Brian Silva, S-Y-L-V. Connect with him on Lincoln. We're going to find you on Lincoln and uh, connect with you. And I'll tag you when we um, air this podcast. I'll tag you with the link. Brian, I had such a good time. I know Mike, uh, he's very interested to continue talking to you. (laughs) Right at the edge of my seat. You better believe it. (laughs) Hey, just reach out anytime. I'll help you out, man. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Brian. Appreciate you. you. Sure. Thank you, Phoebe and Mike. Appreciate you very much. And uh, um, I, I best of luck to uh, all your future endeavors as well. Yes. Thank yeah. you so much. I appreciate that, Brian. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Mike and Phoebe show on Alternative Twist Radio. If you missed any past episodes, just search the Mike and Phoebe show or Alternative Twist Radio on any major podcast app.